Hello everyone, welcome back to the Firearms Cafe. I'm your host, Tony Brown. Today is November 5th, 2008. Hey! This is my rifle! And there are many like it, but this one is mine! My rifle is my best friend! is over and we have a new president-elect in Barack Hussein Obama. We also have Joe Biden and we still have Nancy Pelosi. So we have got probably three of the most anti-firearms people and anti-rights people in the top three positions in our government. So we are in for a long hard struggle. I don't know if they will start out immediately trying to push new bans uh, and new laws through. I think, as I've said in other shows, it may be six months to a year, but I think that they're coming. 
And some would ask, well, what do you think those particular laws or bans or legislation that's going to come down the pipe, what do you think he's going to do? And quite honestly, I don't know. Um, I don't know if they're going to try and do a, uh, have a strategy of let's go after kind of one thing or do it kind of quietly so we don't rile up the people, or if they're going to say, look, we're on a crest, we're on a wave, let's go ahead and try and push through as much as we can while the uh, nation is still under this uh, euphoria. And we'll just get as much stuff passed as we can, and we'll go from there. Now, unfortunately, I think that's something that we're just going to have to almost have a wait and see, and we'll have to fight those battles as they arise. I'm sure many of us out there feel that there's probably more that we could have done, uh, felt that perhaps had we been better organized, had we reached out, had we done this, had we done that, we could have maybe had a different outcome. But I think what we need to do is we can't really dwell in the past. What we have to do is we have to look at what we didn't do, and we have to learn from that, but then we need to go forward. And basically, that's what the Democrats had done at this last election. They learned, look, if I say that I am for gun control, if I say that I don't believe in the Second Amendment, I'm not going to get elected. And that's what they used to say. They used to say, we need more gun control, we need more laws, we need more restrictions, and if that means we need to ban certain guns, then that's what we need to do. And they saw that by doing that, they weren't winning. They were getting beaten. And so they changed their playbook. And what they went is they said, well, let's say that we support the Second Amendment, but that we also believe in reasonable restrictions. We say that we believe it's everybody's individual right to have a firearm. But there again, just like the First Amendment, it is subject to, again, the magic words, reasonable restrictions. So we need to change our playbook up a little bit. So when I say that we need to change our playbook and we need to change our approach, what does that mean? What that means is we still need to keep our ultimate goal. And our ultimate goal is protection of the Second Amendment and protection of our individual rights to keep and bear arms. And the way that we do that is we include everyone we can. If everybody in America had an AR-15, and if everybody in America had a semi-automatic sidearm, it would be much more difficult for politicians to say, you need to give that up, you need to turn that in. That needs to be, you can't be trusted with that. That needs to be taken away from you. So the more people we reach, the more we secure our Second Amendment rights. And that got me to thinking, okay, we want to reach out to people. We want to reach out to groups. Well, who do we want to reach out to? And once we've got that figured out, how do we do that? So let's take a look at the groups that we need to reach out to. Or you could even say, if they're not affiliated with a particular group, even just a type of person. So first of all, let's talk about some of those different groups. We want to reach out to immigrants. We want to reach out to minority groups, uh, Asians, Hispanics, Blacks. Um, we want to reach out towards women groups. We also want to reach out 
and invite people to join our culture who are in the gay community. And that, you know, I'm going to say some things here that a lot of people probably in the gun culture would deny is true or don't want to hear. But I think it needs to be said. A lot of these groups that I've just mentioned have been viewed in the gun culture, in the traditional gun culture, as them. So there was a very us and them mentality. And the reality is, if we want gun culture to go forward, it needs to be inclusive of everyone. And I've, I've mentioned this before on other shows. This isn't new stuff that you're hearing from me. It's morally and ethically wrong to exclude somebody from the gun culture based on where they were born, based on whether they're a man or a woman, based on sexual preference, based on skin color. Because when you exclude somebody from the gun culture, what you are in essence doing, when, it, when you cut away everything else, when you look at it, what in, you are really doing is you're saying, my group has the right to have a firearm and my group has the right to self-defense and therefore the right to life and your group doesn't. I don't really care one way or another because you're not part of my group whether you live or die. And some people may say that that's kind of a harsh way to look at it, but it's a true way. Um, let me give you an example. When I was at a, a policy conference, they had a, a speaker from the Pink Pistols, which is uh, uh, like a gay firearms rights group. But I could still tell that in the room that there were a lot of people in there who didn't want them who you could tell they're like, well, why do we have to have these people come to our meeting? So again, we see that us versus them mentality. And that's what we have to get away from. We have to get to where we accept everybody. You know, when I was thinking about this the other day, it kind of came to me that in this country we've lost the ability to disagree and argue with someone without making it personal. And that will ultimately, I feel, be our downfall. We need to be, again, inclusive of everyone. So again, we have to look at who we've left out and why we've left them out in the past. And ultimately, when I look at it, as I try and look at the big picture, it's pretty much because they're not falling into line on other, maybe, political issues. And therefore, they just weren't welcome. Now, again, we have to step away from that, and we have to make it okay to have different views. So again, you'll be able to disagree and argue with a point with somebody without making it personal. So if you know someone who was very liberal or very conservative, but was pro-Second Amendment, and they disagreed with you on uh, a lot of other issues, would you still welcome that person into the gun culture? And the first response would be, yeah, sure. They'd, sure, open arms. But think about it. If they thought that health care should be free, 
and the government should provide it. Or if they thought, no, you need to get it on your own, either through work or, or pay for it somehow. If they were pro-life or if they were pro-choice. If they were for closed borders, completely sealed borders, no more immigration of any kind, or if they were for completely open borders. Anybody wants to come over, they can, no problem. If they supported or opposed gay marriage. If they were for decriminalization of certain types of drugs. If they were for or against the death penalty. And again, you need to think about these things. And all those things I mentioned are pretty much real hot-button issues. But if we want gun rights and gun culture and the Second Amendment to survive probably the next 30, 40 years, we have got to start reaching out to people and finding common ground. And that common ground is I may not agree with you on anything. I may be the complete opposite on every one of your views except for I believe you have the right to defend your life and to defend your family's life against someone who would take it away from you. So what we also need to do on the political front is to try and reach out to as many Democrats as we can. When what we want at the end of the day is we want those Democrats to be able to say that the people that I know who own guns are decent people. They would never hurt anybody. They're not going to go out and commit crimes. And if I know 10, 20 people that own guns and they're decent people, Maybe I'm a little backwards on this whole gun issue. So what we need to do, we need to attack or we need to argue not with that person, but with that mistaken belief. And if we can do that, if we can attack the belief and not the person, I think we'll make a lot of headway. Because if you've got someone when the subject of a gun ban comes up. If they say, you know, it's it's no consequence to me if all semi-automatic firearms get banned. Uh, I've never shot one, much less own one, and I don't have any plans to own a firearm in the future. So what does that matter? But if you can get that person out to the range with you, if you can get them to shoot that firearm and perhaps even purchase one, it would become very hard to say, once they own that, and they haven't done anything wrong with it, they see that it doesn't make them a criminal to own a certain piece of personal property, then it would become very hard for the government to say to that person, you have to give that up because a criminal element misuses it. So it's not because of anything that you have ever done but it's because of something that other people have done. So you're not going to be allowed to keep that. Even though you bought it legally and you've owned it legally, you've got to give it up. And people don't want to do that. People don't like doing that. 
Because in effect, with those bans, what the government is saying is that most people are bad. And they're not even really talking about the criminals. What they're talking about is the average citizen. They're saying that the average citizen just can't be trusted. Politicians, ultimately, they want to stay in office. Now, if they know that Americans believe in the Second Amendment and will take action, uh, so example, they would vote them out of office if the government or if they pass legislation and laws and bills that are anti-Second Amendment, then they're not going to pursue those bills. They're not going to pursue that legislation. Now, you have to remember, politicians really aren't concerned with all of the people that live in their district or all the people that they're supposed to represent. They are only concerned and only really care about the people that vote. So that if they know that the majority of the people that vote for them are pro-rights, then they're going to be much more hesitant to say, let's go ahead and take those rights away. Now let's take a look at another group of people. And those would be the people that when they see a gun, they have an instant fear response. So they have a fear of just the object. And it's not that they have any experience one way or another with a gun. It's just they see it and that response is to be afraid of it. You have to realize that a lot of times this has been, for lack of a better word, kind of bred into them, uh, either by family uh, or by the media. You know, if all you you've if you've heard all your life that firearms are bad and that the firearms are the cause of crime. You have a, again, then you have that lifetime of experience of blaming the object. And they've never had it explained or told to them as, you know, it was the person that decided to kill that victim. And they just happened to use a gun. But it wasn't that gun's fault. Now you take that same story of a murder victim who is killed with a knife or beaten to death uh, with a hammer uh, or stabbed with a screwdriver or uh, some other type of uh, club, a blunt instrument like a bat or a pipe. The reaction to that story is never it was the bat's fault or it was the fault of the screwdriver. You know, no one reacts and says, if screwdrivers weren't so easy to get a hold of, etc., etc., etc. Now, having said that, we, as a Second Amendment culture, need to have some empathy, and we need to get away, when we talk to people that have that fear response, from saying things like, oh, it's just a tool, or... Uh, it's used only for target practice. You know, we need to acknowledge that, yeah, it is a weapon, and that, yes, by design, it is made to kill. And if you deny those things uh, to the person that is afraid, it's, 
you know, to them, it's not that firearm, it's not a tool. And so when you say that it's just a tool to them, uh, in their view, it's as if you are discounting their feelings. And it can also ring a little bit disingenuous for you. So in making our point, you know, we can't exaggerate, nor can we minimize things. We need to keep things very honest. So if we can win over that person who has that fear response, or even if, you know, all we do is to get rid of or, or lessen that fear response, or give them some information that allows them to think about firearms in a different light, then we're making progress. Now, they don't have to agree 100%, but they do need to be able to see our side of the issue at the end of the day. And when they are at least able to acknowledge our side, hopefully they'll be able to say, well, I guess those are some valid points. So now let's talk about what are some of the ways that we can approach people who are anti-Second Amendment. Now, how do we do that? How can we relate to those people? And I think the best way to be able to do that is through the stories of armed citizens. Now, when we tell these stories, we you have to know your audience. And remember, you're dealing with a emotional issue and emotional responses. So you have to have an emotional appeal or side to make your point accessible to them. And you also have to know your facts. You can't speak in generalities. You need to know names and dates and times and some background information. So an example would be, you could tell the story this way. Oh, did you hear about that guy that, that tried to break into that lady's house and then she shot him? Or you can tell it this way. And the, the names that I'm going to use and the incidents, I'm just making it up as I go along. So it's not, this didn't really happen. Although I'm probably in some parts of the country it has anything I can think up. Somebody has probably gone through and experienced. But if you told that same story, and if you said, Jeannie Brown, who was a single mom, was at home alone with her daughter, when her ex-boyfriend, who was violent and had beaten her in the past, had finally tracked her down because she had to move away because the beatings were getting so bad and he was actually starting to beat her young daughter. And she had a restraining order and she tried to do everything to get away from that guy. But he finally tracked her down. It was about 10.30 at night. He breaks into the door. She runs into her bedroom. She gathers her her daughter with her and she also picks up a cell phone. She calls 911. Meanwhile, you can hear on the 911 tape, he's rampaging through the house. He's screaming at her. And he starts beating on the door. The woman on the phone is pleading with the police to help her. Please help me. 
911 operator is saying, we've got somebody on the way. They'll be there in about three minutes. All of a sudden on the tape you hear, crash, and the door bursts open. You hear the man yell, you're going to get yours. I'm going to teach you a lesson you're not going to forget. And then you hear gunshots. Bang, bang, bang. You hear the 911 operator say, What's happened? What's happened? You hear the woman crying. She says, I had to shoot him. I had to stop him. He was going to kill us. And then, if you say to them, that's a terrible tragedy that that man had to get shot and he had to lose his life. But I think it would have been much worse if that woman and her daughter had to die because the police couldn't get there in time to help them. And those are the type of stories, if you can tell a story in that way, if you can then make that person who is anti-Second Amendment or who has that fear response, if you can put that person in that woman's place, or in that daughter's, in the little girl's place, in the daughter's place, then you're appealing to their emotions. And a lot of times, it's even better to, to make them relate it to someone else in their personal life or their personal circle. Because I've heard people say, well, you know, I would just run away or I would I would just do what they want or, you know, I would rather die than have to be forced to take somebody else's life. But if you say, well, would you try and stop that person if they were going to rape and then murder your eight-year-old daughter? So if you can place them in the role of a protector of someone who has no means of self-protection, like that young child, you're going to go a lot further into making them having to relate to sort of our side of the coin. So our belief, and of course our... And the thing is, we're not trying to scam anybody out of anything. We're not trying to trick anybody into believing in the way we believe because we want something off of them. We want people, even again, if we disagree with them on every other political issue, we genuinely want people of all races, creeds, color, sexual orientation, gender, it doesn't matter. We want them to, at the end of the day, if they're a law-abiding citizen, who are not out hurting anybody, we want those people to be able to see the sun come up again. We want to give them as many days on the earth as possible. And those are some of the points, too, that you need to make. Well, I've kind of rambled on a lot. Hopefully the show is not too disjointed. I kind of did this one sort of off the hip a little bit. Uh, but in conclusion, I think the bottom line is that uh, we need the number of gun owners to increase uh, not only with the younger generation but through all the demographic spectrum so to speak that number increase has to come from all sides 
of the current political parties. Uh, in the long term, we need to get firearm ownership and the belief in the Second Amendment and the belief in self-protection to be something that crosses party lines at the voter level. And once we can do that, and once the politicians understand that, we're going to see a lot of these bills and a lot of these other things are just going to dry up. They'll go away if we can accomplish that. And again, the way that we accomplish that is to go out and do one person at a time. Because if we can change over the next couple of years, if we can change even three, four people each, and if those three or four people, if they go out and reach three or four people, it'll just keep snowballing for us. Well, hopefully this has given you some ideas, and you don't have to agree with them. So stay safe out there, stay informed, and remember we'll save a seat for you at our table here at the Firearms Cafe.
Music provided at Podsafe Audio. Check out Podsafe Audio for all your podcasting music needs. This show is part of the Gun Rights Radio Network. Podcasting freedom. GunRightsRadio.com